you could spend all your life just drinking from that fire hose and not making sense of it or you could sort of say okay enough and let me try and structure this welcome to the thriving on overload podcast I am Ross Dawson, a futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by how we can excel at dealing with the universe of information, and the author of the book, Thriving on Overload. Every week, we share insights from information masters on how they transform today's avalanche of information into insight, foresight, and better decisions. For more goodness on this topic, be sure to visit thrivingonoverload.com, where there are wealth of resources to help you thrive including all podcast episodes with transcripts, excerpts from my book, and if you are really intent on amplifying your information productivity, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, which helps you develop a personal information plan you can immediately put into practice. And be sure to sign up for our weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter if you want to optimize your information productivity. If you enjoy this episode, please do subscribe and give a rating or review on iTunes. It helps others interested in this topic to find these resources. Now, on with the show. On this episode, we learn from Abhijit Badari. Abhijit is an author, blogger, podcaster, keynote speaker, and influencer focusing on the future of work. His five books include most recently Dreamers and Unicorns and The Digital Tsunami, as well as two novels. Before starting his solo career, he was chief learning officer at Indian technology giant Wipro. You can find more on his work at abhijitbadri.com. That's A-B-H-I-J-I-T-B-H-A-D-U-R-I. And across the usual social channels, definitely check him out on LinkedIn, where he deservedly has over 800,000 followers. And on Twitter, at Abhijit Badri. In this episode, Abhijit shares insights on divergence and convergence, the power of sketchnotes, multidisciplinary sense-making, skill portfolios, and far more. Keep listening to learn from Abhijit's great insights. Abhijit, an honor and a delight to have you on the show. Thank you. Likewise, it's so lovely to be here with you. So you are, I think what I want to dig into is obviously not only how you thrive on overload, but also I think uh, through your career, you have helped many others uh, to thrive in a very, very fast-paced environment. So I mean, we'll try to unpack these, but what, what's the starting point? What's what's the mentality that we should be approaching this, you know, making sense of unlimited information? So I think one of the things that um, has changed is, you know, the number of sources of information that we've had. I mean, so there was a phase where you had, uh, you know, the standard newspapers. In India, we went from, uh, you know, one official, uh, you know, channel which was the television, the government-run channel, to, you know, it moved to two, and then suddenly as private television happened, satellite TV happened, now we have 700 channels to choose from. And besides, of course, all the others that, you know, keep showing up on the internet. So um, everybody with a camera and a microphone is now a content creator. So that has just exploded. So um, I think it's moved exponentially from one or two to 700 to now, literally billions. So that's really what is causing this amazing thing. And plus, so many platforms where you're consuming it. I mean, um, I read stuff on in the newspapers, on the internet, there are communities, there are various places. So you talk to people, it's just incredible. So you could spend all your life just drinking from that fire hose and not making sense of it. 
or you could sort of say, okay, enough, and let me try and structure this. So that's really the magic of how do you balance these two or three things? So, so structure, I mean, that's, I think, a wonderful word, structure it. So how do you structure your engagement with information? Um, I think uh, I would sort of say that there are three distinct phases. Uh, one is, uh, you know, the phase which is divergent, where, um, you know, you are really not looking for anything. I mean, of course, you are looking for things which are of interest to you, but your sources are multiple. So, you know, there are some people sources. For example, um, I always find talking to creators is very uh, insightful talking to people who are at the fringes. I mean, a lot of the futurists, uh, people who write about that. I mean, some of the uh, clubhouse rooms which talk about that. I mean, one of my favorites is, um, you know, one called Trends and Week Signals, which uh, happens most Saturdays, India time at 7.30 p.m. Uh, it's got, you know, seven, eight people who are polymaths who have very, very different interests. And when they interpret uh, a sort of a seemingly innocuous, weak uh, signal, you suddenly begin to see it popping up in so many places. So that's quite fascinating. Conferences, podcasts, YouTube, and then, of course, there's social media, Um, the usual books, magazines, movies. So it's it's just so many things, you know. So there is a people side, and then there is, uh, you know, curated content which is available. So you just sort of... Uh, dip into both. So you're starting with the divergent, as in going out and getting everything from all sides, and obviously a few carefully selected uh, sources. So what's what comes after the divergent phase? Um, at, at that point of time, you know, you're really trying to, it's, it's a sense-making phase where it is convergent. You sort of, um, you, you know, and you do it as part of your natural routine. So when I consult with organizations, I get a chance to talk to the C-suite, but I also get a chance to talk to uh, the employees. It gives me a view of, uh, you know, what do the people at the top think? What is it that they are missing? Uh, Then you talk to industry experts, uh, you know, you read some of these reports. Um, One of the ways to sort of make sense uh, in that convergent model is to actually the way you structure your information. So in my case, uh, you know, I use some of the apps which are there, you know, the usual things. I use Google Keep. I use, uh, you know, Apple uh, for some of the stuff. Sometimes I email stuff and then build on the same topic. I'll sort of have that. Uh, I use alerts. Uh, so that's one way in which you are curating content on a particular theme. But in the sense-making phase, you're really looking for patterns. You know, what is repeating? What is showing up in unconnected areas. So for me, that's the more fascinating piece. So, you know, when you say that, uh, let's say the decentralization movement, um, you know, I was uh, sort of during the Adobe conference and Malcolm Gladwell talked about, uh, you know, from networks to, you know, from a hierarchical structure to networks. Uh, So that was one piece. Then you kind of read about the DeFi movement. Then you look at, you know, the autonomous organizations. You kind of say that, um, crypto, uh, and you kind of say that are these related? Is this a part of a broader trend? And which is what you then distill and say, how will this change a certain aspect? What problems will it solve? What problems will it create? Um, so that's really the place where you use a multidisciplinary approach to sort of make sense of things. So that's really um, your second phase. 
Well, I'd like to dig more into that and how you do that, but I know that you use sketch notes as part of your sense making, and perhaps you can share with uh, our listeners what what sketch notes are and how you use them. Uh, when I'm reading something, usually what I do is, uh, you know, given the fact that our, um, you know the amount of text that we consume on any given day is phenomenal, uh, you know, so I try and distribute uh, the stuff between the different senses. So. Uh, podcast is one method, but I also use sketch notes liberally, which is I illustrate that. Um, so if I read something, I try and summarize it and say that if somebody who's not read that book or the article or listen to that podcast, whatever I'm summarizing visually, uh, what is it that would make sense to that person? What are some of the key takeaways? So it's not like a detailed note taking of all 100 pages of whatever the person has spoken. But, you know, what are some, think about it like um, the chapter headings of a book, uh, you know, and you sort of do that. Sometimes there's a data piece that makes all of it come to life and it sort of tells people why it is so important. Um, so you do that. And I try and illustrate it with uh, sometimes you use visual symbols. Sometimes I just draw a cartoon. Sometimes I use an illustration of, you know, some kind of those vectors that you see. I use a combination of various things to really create a visual that people can, um, you know, keep in their mind. And it sort of gives you a recap of everything that uh, of the, around that idea. So I find that very useful. You know, my readers love it. And so so that's something that I think uh, I find very useful. It, it's the way that I've traditionally taken notes. The only difference is now when I put it out for other people, I'll show off a little bit. I use a little bit of color and do all that. But it's effectively the same notes, which, which is there. I just use a little bit of crayon or something to jazz it up. But otherwise, it's um, not very different. So, so in the show notes, we'll have links to uh, to your some of your wonderful sketch notes. But uh, so, how do you lay that out? I mean, people will think about mind maps. A lot of people being trained on mind maps. We get a central idea and branches, and you sometimes bring in drawings. So, do you? Is there any particular logic or structure or way that you put the the ideas on the page? So, uh, you know, most people, when you when you read a book, it's the easiest. You know, books have chapters, which sort of tells you how the thought is organized, you know. Um, so there are, and usually I try and limit um, the sketch note to two or three of the most important ideas. Sometimes you combine them and you think of two or three or four blocks because more than that, it becomes really cluttered. You know, then you're just adding to the confusion. You know, so you just want to make it actionable. Um, so in my case, you know, what I do is uh, um, I put, sometimes I put the stuff in a LinkedIn post, which is my first starting point. Um, when you begin to see a couple of posts which are there, they typically show up in my LinkedIn newsletter, uh, which is there. Um, or it'll be an article that I write for a magazine or some such thing, because then I'm trying out the idea for different uh, audiences. And you get the feedback from that, which is precious. And then Multiple uh, articles combined together create a book or a keynote. You know, multiple articles can be curated into a keynote. So a post becomes a newsletter, a newsletter becomes a keynote, keynote becomes a book. Uh, you know, so that's typically the way um, most of the times it flows. So 
I mean, it's one of the things that it's in, it's difficult to look inside your own mind, but I mean, obviously you are a master at distilling the ideas. I just say, okay, well, there's 10 concepts in this book. I'm going to pull them down into, you know, four or whatever is, you know, logical thing. So is there, is there any process that you can share about how it is that you, you pull back or to distill or to, you know, uh, takes the essence of what is uh, more complex ideas? You know, most of the times when you look at um, uh, information, for me, sense-making uh, is typically a multi multidisciplinary process. So, you know, uh, as part of my conversations and things like that, I talk to people from different disciplines. So what happens is you begin to sort of see the world from um, uh, two perspectives um, that I use. One is to sort of say that um, what is some what is it that I notice which is going to impact multiple disciplines? You know, so it'll impact. Let's say, is there a political implication? Is there a um, economic in- implication? Is there a social implication? Is there a tech implication? Um, and then you sort of try and see that. Um, uh, whose problems can be solved with this particular insight, you know? So uh, is it going to be something that uh, is going to impact the learning and development community? So it's something that I will put together for that. Uh, is it going to be something for an individual when they're making choices about their career? So I'll write about that. Uh, is it going to impact uh, the CEO who's going to think about um, how, how do we take a call about um, getting people back to work or not? Does it mean you change the uh, rule book? Does it mean you change the talent pool that you're working with? Does it mean you change the processes that you're working with? Do you combine all of it? So, you know, those are some of the uh, things that I use to distill uh, stuff. What you write about effectively comes back um, you know, to because you get feedback from people. People would say, well, that was really useful. So you get your, all your likes and all the analytics. And you understand where the people have put more comments, what are the things people have shared a lot of. And that's something people find useful. So then that's a feedback mechanism to you. Um, so And then you build a community of readers who are uh, always giving you feedback, saying, I found this useful, but I didn't like what you said about ABC. So you build that one-to-one connect with a number of people. That, that's that's really interesting. A number of interests, you know, particularly interesting things there. One is this immediately going to implications. So anything is like saying, well, what what does that mean? What does that imply? What does that lead to? Which is, again, very much, of course, futurist uh, style thinking. But another is you mentioned a number of themes there, as in, you know, learning and development or future of work or other things. So do you have, have you sort of created different themes around what is specifically what is of interest to you? And, and do you use, for example, when you capture information, do you use tags or folders or other ways to be able to organize that information? I, uh, you know, I find that when I create the sketch notes, that's for me the most powerful way of uh, finally distilling something that I'm going to weave together, you know, either for an article or something. And even when I write, uh, you know, the process of writing, I, if I get stuck, uh, you know, which is very often, um, I would then switch to uh, drawing it out and saying, because that gives me clarity that, okay, what am I trying to say? Uh, what's the problem I'm trying to solve here? And when you do that visually, it forces you because you're spending time explaining something. And then when you draw it, you realize 
that, oh, okay, with the drawing, I'm giving the impression it's something that impacts only women because there are only women characters. That's not true. Uh, should I change it? So is it different? Is it something which um, is going to impact India more than I would create uh, characters which are uh, wearing an Indian dress or some such thing. So, you know, it depends on who I'm writing it for. Sometimes the visual actually gets me a lot more clarity about the language. And then from that language, the visual, the visual to the language. So it's an iterative process. You are listening to the Thriving on Overload podcast. If you truly want to increase your information productivity, then check out the Thriving on Overload interactive course. It is designed to significantly enhance your information practices and habits, guiding you through creating your own personal information plan so you can excel in a world of overload. Go to thrivingonoverload.com slash course to find out more. Now back to the show. It's another thing which I think is really interesting is the, is the feedback from your community. And you've obviously got a, a wonderful community this is, uh, you know, you know, this is a type of collective intelligence, which I, I think is one of the the most important themes we have. So, yeah, I'd love to just hear your reflections on how you, your, your, you know, the community, your community, which you engage with, uh, participates, as it were, in your thinking process. Um, so, you know, most of the times, uh, the first most visible pieces, uh, you know, the comments and the reshares and all that, I mean, that sort of gives you a perspective. Um, most of the times, people will uh, give you a nuanced view of a problem and they'll say, you've written about this. It would be useful if you wrote about this problem that I notice in many organizations. That can really throw light on a blind spot of mine because then you kind of say that, okay, um, I never thought about that, but that's a useful piece. Uh, and then I'll go digging into that to respond to that. Um, the other could be that, uh, you know, as you're consulting, you begin to see, you know, things that you may have written about, but very clearly, um, you know, when you see it happening on the ground, you get a far deeper sense of what are people really talking about. So I, I do a number of conversations with groups of employees, which is um, very useful for me because it gives me a chance to vicariously participate in some of these uh, conversations. Um, you know, when they say that, you know, what you wrote about in this, um, our CEO would never do this. Uh, and then you say, why would they not do it? And then, you know, they would have their own hypothesis. And if you get a chance to talk to the CEO, you begin to see both sides. So in that sense, you are able to then say, okay, here is where I need to create content. Should it be visual? Could it be a keynote? Should I do it as part of a workshop that I'm doing for these people? So you put all of it together. And of course, you know, uh, when I create uh, keynotes, I use a lot of these uh, sketches because people are used to seeing a lot of content. You know, um, even photos have become, in some sense, People use stock photos, which you see the same photo uh, 15 times in a keynote. So, But when you do a sketch, you know, it's usually unique and nobody else has it. It's also a great way that people can focus on um, listening to you rather than taking notes. And at the end of it, I combine all the ideas into a sketch note and share it out, uh, which they can keep. So then it becomes a great visual summary. Um, it's easy for recall. 
And then people, you know, I put my email or something out there so people will write back with more ideas and all that. So it's a, um, as you make yourself more accessible, people will come back and give you more ideas and suggestions. Also, a lot of people help me with all the typos that show up in my writing. You know, they'll say, oh, by the way, uh, you've got a typo and that fix it. They're kind enough to do it discreetly. You know, they'll DM me. But still, so, yeah, I mean, I have a, uh, very powerful set of people who look out for me and which is I'm grateful for. Well, I think the, the, the essence of that is that you are asking and interested and responsive. So the reason why people say, how about this, is they know that you are going to listen and you're going to respond to that. I think there's many others who have very engaged social communities where you know, they don't expect <laughs> any response whereas i think you know you, because you are actively listening to and responding to those requests is that's when you you start to tease out those interesting perspectives that you might not have had otherwise um you know if you ask people uh, for suggestions and don't act on them you know after the second time they can stop giving you suggestions exactly it's like employee surveys you know you say tell me what you don't like about the company and they'll you know generously flood you with ideas and then if you don't do anything about it and ask again tell me what you don't like about the company they're not going to sort of take you seriously so yeah that's uh, very true as uh, as you may know, I also, well, I create what I call visual frameworks, concept frameworks, and they're a lot more complex than your uh, sketch notes. I mean, they're probably too complicated sometimes. But, uh, you know, for, for the, the times for keynotes, what I've done is actually just taken a single page and use a Prezi to sort of move around and look at different parts of the, uh, the visual to, uh, to sort of tell one story. Yeah, maybe, um, you know, we should do a combination sometime that, you know, one of your ideas, turn it into a sketch note, use that uh, and see, I'd be happy to do that for you. Uh, you know, great. Anytime, Sounds like a plan. <laughs> yeah. Totally. So, so what I want to dig into now is of course you were chief talent officer at uh, white pro you are, you know, your learning and development is core to your work. And of course, interested in what you're, how you thrive on overload, but how it is that you do or you could or you or we can help, you know, there's so many people. I mean, I think you know, tech services is one a great example where it's moving pretty fast. So how how can organizations help their, their employees to be able to deal with the massive degree of change in information and, and knowledge and uh and prosper in that world. So one of the things, um, you know, I have been uh, uh, doing is to really, uh, so as a, let me first uh, step back and talk to you about um, how the thing happened when I was at Wipro as the chief learning officer. The first thing that confronted me was the scale of the uh, organization. You know, at that point of time, it was 150,000 employees. By the time I left, it was 175,000 and uh, now it has about 200,000 employees. So uh, obviously the scale is phenomenal. It's across different countries, you know, more than 50, 70 countries. Um, so very diverse groups. And if you, my first thought was if I do the traditional route of um, in-person classrooms and all that stuff, then that's going to be a long time. Um, 
So while, yes, that was one of the things that the company heavily invested in, which is great, so it gave me a chance to do a lot of that. Um, I kind of defined my role in three chunks. One was to say that, um, you know, to be a person who could look around the corners and say, uh, how is business going to change in the next 18 months? And for that, you combine internal, um, you know, feedback mechanisms and external uh, factors. You know, so if you see a lot of consolidation happening in, uh, uh, let's say, the banking sector, and if our internal stuff is not up to uh, uh, snuff on that, and then you you would see that banking is going to take a dip next year. Uh, so, you know, if you are able to create um, credibility by doing some kind of a prediction for the near term, uh, people begin to take your, uh, you know, the longer time horizons a little more seriously because they, you said this is what's going to happen tomorrow. And if it does, then it's much easier for me to build credibility to talk about what's going to happen next month and so on and so forth. Uh, the second, uh, so to look at the corners uh, in the next 18 to 24 months and then translate it down to um, the kind of skills that will become very important. You know, so what's the portfolio of skills? And uh, the framework that I used to use is that I think there are three kinds of skills. What is uh, commodified, which is you may have the skill, but nobody, you know, pays you to have that. I mean, so for example, if you say, uh, I know how to use um, Word, um, you know, or PowerPoint, uh, nobody's going to get impressed and say, oh, my God, I mean, that's so amazing that you know how to do that. Because it's become a commodity. Everybody has it. Um, then there is a middle layer of that pyramid, which is uh, the marketable skills, which is uh, things which uh, people get certified in, which, you know, get you employed, um, you know, things which you get uh, typically learned from an educational institution and now more, more and more outside of educational institutions as well. Uh, that's your, um, you know, things which you can learn in the community. So, you know, things that you'll pick up in a GitHub kind of a community, which is the second chunk. Uh, it's marketable because you get paid for it and you get hired for it and you get promotions for it. The third one is the most difficult thing, which is the niche. Uh, and the niche skills are the ones which uh, people uh, sort of gather by talking to individuals. Uh, you can't learn it in a structured way because, you know, it's so much out there, it's in the fringes. So that actually comes from the kind of people that you engage with. And it can happen uh, through social media. It's powerful. I get to talk to smart people like you. Um, that happens uh, only through social media. You build your connects. You are part of communities. And the thing, um, what is interesting is, you can never enter any of these networks, communities, or talk to these individuals if your first thought is, what can I get out of it? You know, uh, you always, uh, you know, it's the principle is give and take. You always give first before you take, uh, you know. And if you've earned enough credibility by saying, yeah, you contribute as generously as you, uh, you know, swipe your, uh, your goodwill card, then uh, people uh, are kind enough to sort of uh, help you out when you are looking at that they'll connect you to the people in their network and then say, actually, I don't know enough. The person you should talk to is this guy. Those are probably some of your gems. They are the people that um, are the hardest to reach. And the only way they'll take your call is because it comes from that person. And that is um, uh, very, very difficult to uh, sort of learn how to do it. You only do it over a span of time. You pick up 
and you build your own network and then that network gets you to other networks. So it is, um, there's a people process which works and then there's a technology process, you know, which is through, as you said, algorithms and social media and all that stuff. So both are important. But I think um, for the divergent pieces, technology is more powerful. For the convergent pieces, um, you know, those experts will say, oh, this is rubbish. There's nothing of this going to happen. I've looked at these five industries and here is how it is going to pan out. And that's a very, very great way to cut out the noise. Uh, and also, they will tell you that, okay, nobody's talking about this, but this is going to be a big problem tomorrow. So I think it's this combination. So so I think you know, I talk a lot about peer learning, as in you learn from your peers, and particularly, as you say, on the edge, when you're creating new knowledge, there's the, the books haven't been written yet. So you're, you're uh, on the edge with other people who are learning and that requires the communities. But th- this is about this learning to learn and the learning to learn is also about learning to learn in communities and networks and to build those. And as you say, this is difficult to to uh, teach, you know, in a way you're, you're trying to find it. But how, you know, what, <laughs> I suppose if we can distill it down, I mean, what, what are, are any key points or key, what's at the heart of being able to teach these, you know, potentially exceptional people that learning to learn in a, in a world of fast change? Um, I'd sort of, uh, uh, you know, say that um, conversations are usually uh, indicative of weak signals and trends. Uh, when you look at um, newsletters and articles, uh, that's slightly more aged, you know, so it is yeah, it's probably a reasonably large trend because otherwise it wouldn't appear in a newsletter because not enough people would read it. So, uh, so, so that a newsletter is typically a sign that it's uh, in that marketable kind of a phase. And when it's in the book, it's well, it's knowledge that you should have, uh, and it's potentially in the phase of getting commoditized because just about everybody knows that. Uh, and you know, so um, I think. Conversations for me are always the most precious uh, and they are unstructured, they are chaotic. But I find that when there are, you talk to people who are polymaths, they can actually make great connections and creators make great connections in their own way. You know, uh, somebody will talk about, um, you know, a certain kind of a, a thing happening, say, on Instagram and I have no clue what that is. And and this person builds a community of people who are really fascinated by that entire thing that you are sharing. So you get a chance to see something like that. And then you kind of see um, a little more structure uh, in other places. Audio is um, easy because, you know, you're getting into different conversations, uh, which is in real time. You're sort of doing that. I take notes uh, diligently when I am in, uh, in a clubhouse or uh, in LinkedIn audio when I'm doing that, these conversations are very powerful because, you know, these can be 20 minute conversations and that's a gem. And, uh, you know, the trick is not to get, uh, you know, fascinated by numbers and say, oh, I had 7,000 people. No, I mean, you could have had a deep conversation with one person who's a stranger and that's probably precious because you're getting to see the world from a person who you don't even know. And that is usually one way to break the algorithm that you are stuck into because you begin to see more people like yourself. You know, that's a bias you have to avoid. Absolutely. So, so rounding out, is there any uh, sort of 
things we've missed or advice you would give to people who are seeking to uh, thrive in a world of uh, excessive information? Oh, well, I mean, you know, I think the kind of podcast that you're doing, you're bringing together a lot of people who are um, creating their own uh, frameworks. I mean, uh, you know, for example, a couple of people who I found uh, of great value in the conversations that you had, what uh, Harold Josh, uh, you know, talks about, you know, how do you find that knowledge, seek that knowledge, and then you kind of, the process is roughly the same. I mean, you, there's a divergent phase, there's a convergent phase, and then there's an action phase. Now that action phase can be, you know, you create action that others can take, you know, which could be through the sketch notes and articles and blog posts, etc. Um, books uh, give you a chance to reflect on some of the stuff, the trends. Um, book reviews are great places that you look at, you know, because you sometimes read a book review and say, oh, that's interesting. But there are people, uh, I always find it fascinating to talk to authors because they've, they are, you know, people who have uh, sort of looked at something in depth I like to talk to journalists because uh, they're sort of people who scan the horizon. Are very often they are uh, sniffing out the edges and they are looking at things which have not yet taken shape. They don't have names for it, but they know that there's something brewing there. So, yeah. so that's what I find. Yeah, well, that's fantastic, and I think you know conversations are basically at the heart of it. And but as, as I was saying before, it is how you go about the conversations. I think where the the magic really happens. So uh, we will obviously have uh, links to uh, all of your work in the uh, show notes, but uh, where, where should people go if they want to find out more about your, uh, your fascinating work, uh, Abhijit? Um, so uh, you can follow me on linkedin.com slash in slash my first name, last name together, Abhijit Bhaduri. Um, and, uh, you know, there's my newsletter where I curate a number of my ideas and I have tons of sketch notes. Or you can email me, Abhijit Bhaduri, at live, L-I-V-E, dot com. That's fantastic. Your, your, your openness is uh, part of what enables you to learn so much and so uh, extensively. Thank you so much for your time. That's been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much, Ross. It's a privilege to be on your show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. If you want more resources to help you thrive in a world of exponential information, go to thrivingonoverload.com where you can find all podcast episodes, transcripts, show notes, excerpts from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, and a trove of other useful content and resources, including a weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter to keep across it all. If you like this episode, please do help us be found by giving us a rating or review, and subscribe if you'd like to hear more. This is Ross Dawson. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.